This episode is brought to you by Westcott, creator of innovative lighting solutions for all photography and filmmaking styles and skill levels. Find out more at fjwestcott.com. You're listening to Filmmakers Drinking Bourbon. Hey, what's up, internet people? This is Alex. Uh, This is Brian. And we're filmmakers. And we're also drinking bourbon. Cheers. Let's take a sip here. Mmm. Oh, it's been so long. It tastes so good. <laughs> That's what happens <laughs> when you go dry. It tastes so good. Okay. First of all, who are you? Who's Brian? Uh, nobody important. Uh, I go by Whitey in town. I am a lighting technician in town. Uh, we work as a gaffer, an electrician, and sometimes a best boy. Perfect. So you deal with lighting. I do. Love it. That's my area of interest and joy. Uh, okay. So we'll get to that in a second, but what have you brought us? What is this? I have brought us a bottle of Russell's Reserve Straight Kentucky Bourbon Whiskey, the 10-year variety. Ooh. Which is, actually, it was the very first whiskey I ever had legally, as my aunt gave it to me as a gift for my 21st birthday. Yeah? It was okay. wonderful. Some history. Nice. Mm-hmm. I like it, man. I've never had it. it before. It's kind of delicious. I dig it. Mmm. Well, thank you for bringing that. And all right, so you're a lighting technician. I am. When, so the, I've worked with you in both capacities as as a, just an electrician, actually the best boy and the gaffer. Oh man, we did do that thing as a best boy together. Yes. Time time was before Alex was too busy shooting. We would do movies together, terrible low budget movies together as Grip and Electric, <laughs> hang out on trucks all day and try not to lose our minds. Yes, we did. And we did one amazing film in southern Ohio, Portsmouth. It was an experience for sure. Scorned. Scorned. That's awesome, man. Well, what have you been working on recently? Recently, I've been working on a lot of the movies that have been in town in uh, the Cincinnati market. There's been a Lifetime movie, uh, Girl from Compton. There was a long format, uh, stumbling over my own words, Killing of a Sacred Deer, which is from the guys that brought you the lobster. Yeah. And then we're currently about to wrap up on another movie in town called Inconceivable. Nice. Is that the, the Nick Cage one? It is the Nick Cage one. Nice. Me and Nick go way back. Oh, yeah? <laughs> when did you meet Nick? <laughs> the movie in Louisville. Mom and Dad oh, was- Oh, he was in Nick Cage? Yeah, it was in Nick I Cage. I that. Uh, that's awesome, dude. So give me uh, and the listeners here a little insight. What exactly, as you move up the ranks, so start starting an electrician, just a, you know, a lamp operator or whatever you want to call it. What does that guy do? What does a best boy do? Because people are really con- confused about what exactly be. a best like, boy is. People and then what a gaffer They have no idea what we do, so that's totally fair. Yeah. So, okay, let's start at the bottom. You're an electrician. Mm-hmm. First day on set, what do you do? An electrician is one half of the lighting department, so there's grips and electricians. Electricians is pretty much the, the ground crew, so our boss is telling us where he needs the lights to be. When what kind or what kind of lights he needs? Our job as technicians then is to drop him where he needs them, focus him up, but also run power to him, keep our heads wrapped around all that. The biggest challenge there is just maintaining that you have all your options covered and get whatever your boss might need. Then you have it available. Mm. The grips is the other side of that. Then we set up the lights, they modify the lights. So put frames in front of it, different levels of diffusion, different cutting. They shape the light. Mm. So the two are tied very much together. So grips and electricians are kind of the ground crew. Mm-hmm. Best boys on both sides, they're more coordination. They do a lot of making sure they have the right kind of gear in the right places, mm. making sure that they are crewed up, and then also just keeping their head wrapped around the schedule where they might need man days. And that is probably the most exhausting department or position in the department. Just mentally. Yeah, yeah. Mentally, for sure, because you're always chasing. So whenever they're on and they're set and the cameras are rolling, you immediately start thinking about what's happening next. Paperwork and organization. Paperwork, yes. <clears throat> Cool. So as a gaffer, which is where you and I work together a lot in that capacity, mm-hmm. uh, what do you do? So let's let's just take one of our productions, for example. All right. Say a music video. Let's take one that uh, was tough on both of us, was a 21 Pilots video out on an abandoned road in Columbus oh, in between commercial days. Mm-hmm. So when I approach you with a music video, how, how do we work together? What do you well, do? Basically, as the gaffer, you're the chief lighting technician. So you're responsible for the look of it overall, but also you're servicing the DPs and his needs. So when we first talked about it, we talked about what kind of light you wanted to see and what you thought we could pull off, what we may not be able to pull off. 
So we had our first pie-in-the-sky discussion about what, what we would like to have. Then we talk about how would we even go about achieving that. Mm-hmm. So we picked the units that we wanted. We actually, on that particular one, we re- er, requested a couple of condors. Mm-hmm. Then they come back to us and say, this is how much money you have. Then we start cutting. <laughs> so we got down to where, on that particular one, we got down to where we had only a few units to work with, but they were larger units, so we covered a bigger area. But I also had to think about what you what kind of light you wanted. So you wanted... A moonlight on that one, mm-hmm. which meant that we would have to put some kind of big uh, sun source or an HMI high in the sky. So mm-hmm. it meant that we would need to order a condor to get it 100 feet in the air. Yeah. Um, we also then ordered the grip package based on that. So we had some big soft bounces to get nice soft pushes. So the gaffer kind of ser- the gaffer and ultimately the key grip also serve as kind of the translation between what the characteristics of the light that you want and then the units that we have yep. and what units we order. Because you know exactly what those units can do. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, some D, I guess every DP is different. You know, mm-hmm. coming from the lighting and grip side of it, I kind of know a little bit about what the units do. But some DPs know the quality right. of light. So they'll say, I want a giant soft source here, and it needs to be a 5.6. Right. And whatever, the other thing is feet. also just keeping up with the changing tech. As fast as cameras change, lights change as well. Yeah. There's always new LEDs. There's always new series of HMIs. Like mm-hmm. So keeping your head wrapped around like what does what kind of light, Yeah, it, it can be very exhausting as well. So it takes the pressure off of the DP you know, needing to know exactly what every unit does and just relying on their gaffer to know the difference. For sure. But then also there's the crew management side, right? There is that. So the kind of delegation of responsibilities and how does that go down? That can also be very challenging. Typically, you try to divvy it up where you have a guy that stays with you when you're gaffing, so somebody stays close to set to cover all the little stuff. And then you'll have guys in the wings. So, if, like, when we did uh, Daniel and Siri, we had a guy that was staged outside, so he would work all the lights that were outside the windows, so we didn't have to have somebody running inside and outside all mm-hmm. the time. Like, keeping your head wrapped around where your guys are at also can be challenging as well, but... When it all comes together, it clicks real nicely. So Yeah, it's all about communication. I think, you know, just like any position or department in this industry is the better communication you can establish from the get-go, the better off you're going to be long-term. Absolutely. Like yeah. it's, There are some great ideas out there that, that fail to come together because of bad communication. And conversely, there is some middle-of-the-road ideas that we get good communication and we end up pushing a little further than we thought we were going to, and everybody walks away really happy with it. So Yeah. Yeah, the more time you have and the more time you can finesse, it's great. Mm-hmm. Cool, dude. So on these bigger movies, you've been what? You've been just electrician or best boy or kind of I've combination? I've been an electrician on the bigger movies in town. I've been juicing under the same – a couple of us have been kind of working together on a lot of the movies lately, mm-hmm. going back, I guess, about two and a half years now, actually. Nice. So it's been a, it's been a good run. It's been a great learning experience for me because the, the gaffer that I'm working with is one of the best guys – around and it's been exceptional learning how to do that job from him for sure so good dude who who have you been working under recently we're, uh, right now it's uh russ faust and scott lipez are my gaffer and best boy nice and they are some of the best guys in town so great dudes yeah we, we need to get them on the show at some point some talk point. to them you offer them bourbon they might show up <laughs> they might show up. everybody's kind of busy lately we've uh had a good run of films coming it's, into town it has been a long run it's been about 13 weeks worth of production lately so wow it's, that's that's cool. Hopefully that continues. I know that Hopefully. people are fighting fighting to uh, keep the incentives going and, and keep the films rolling through. I know, you know, Sound Images here, they handle a lot of the post work for some of the productions that roll through. So yeah, benefits everyone. They do. I mean, it's it's definitely been an interesting year in terms of how the money's been spent and, like, hiring guys and hiring a lot of local guys. Uh, it's funny, actually. We did a couple of days in Sound Image over in Studio A for Girl from Compton. <laughs> that must have been interesting. Yeah, that was actually the last time I was in this building. Did they uh, they do a little work to make it look period, right? They did, and they dressed it up really nice. It was mocked up for Death Row Records, so there was a lot of red. There was a lot of red lighting. In that particular one, it was interesting. That's another one, too. Like With chasing the technology, like we had a lot of LEDs that then we co- colored very red, mm. and the camera guys had to adjust for that on their color pack, on their... Uh, the balance? On the color profile. Oh, which, I mean, it was a Sony movie and we were using Sony cameras. Was so it so a, that the red didn't clip or? It's so the red doesn't clip and we make sure that it reads the way that we want it to. Gotcha. And then work with them and the DIT to make sure that we're all looking at a monitor that has relatively what the final color is going to look like. Yeah. So we're not shooting in the dark. Interesting. Okay. So speaking of technology and LED in particular, how, you know, we've had a few gear companies on the show, mm-hmm. a few giveaways. Um, Brandon actually just bought 
you know, a version, not really, it's a remote phosphor, but it uses LEDs as a, as a base. How big of a game changer have LEDs been for, for someone in the electric department? LEDs are absolutely a game changer because it's, if nothing else than just the power draw, because you can, because they use less power, they can be smaller. You can put them in places that you otherwise would not be able to put lights. Hmm. So it offers you new options for how you approach things. I mean, traditionally, let's just say, uh, Last week we had a fireplace gag, and we had probably one of the lights that you're talking about, a Cineo, yeah. in there to do a little bit of firelight. We're riding the dimmer up and down to make it look like it's flaring a little bit. Traditionally, in the past, it would have been on a built stage, and the top, the fireplace would not have had a top on it, and they would be shooting tungsten into it to try to make that happen. Mm. But now they don't have to rip the top off of it. We don't have to put a bunch of wires into it. That whole rig ran off a battery. Wow. So Did you just have, what, a, a cable runs it? Yep. In that particular one, I think we ultimately settled on that one just being constant because it was the camera was moving so much that we weren't going to read the flicker. Yeah. So we actually put the whole thing on battery in the actual fireplace, and we were done with it. Wow. So uh, yeah, I remember. Uh, I think you were talking about a, a car commercial that shot in the area, and they had, you know, versus a, a lot of times for a large area source, you know, up on a crane, up on a condor, you'll have an HMI or a series of gelled tungsten units in a big softbox you know, for a, a large area source. But on this one, you were saying you looked up and kind of chuckled to yourself because it was just a stinger yeah, running up running the arm. stingers up the arms. Because Which, it was, what, a big LED series? Mm-hmm. It was, I forget exactly. I think it's a LED space replacement. I mm. forget who makes it. But it was... Mole. It might be Mole. Yeah. Uh, Ohio HD up in Columbus has uh, all, they've redone, or they built a studio and all their space lights are LEDs. Nice. Yeah, there's, I will say there's a huge green spike in them. That's the other thing, too, with the LEDs, because LEDs have been around for a really long time, but never really in our application. Mm. And just like when fluorescence came into the market, like KinoFlow was really the first people to get it dialed in where you didn't have the green spike and magenta problems that you have with fluorescence yeah. and the flicker problems. So LEDs have been all over the map. Like a lot of cheaper options are there that can be, you can put a little bit of gel on them, take the green out, and then everything's fine. But there's like really dialing in proper color correct LEDs is still really difficult, and mm. there's only a handful of companies that can do it reliably. Yeah, so. but when you get the good ones, they they look fantastic. It is really impressive what they can do with them. I think what's really cool about LED nowadays is y- you and I have talked. You know, it was it was a while ago, but we talked about potentially buying a kit and kind of making sources that we knew where we frequently use, like little one by ones or two by ones. Yep. With uh, Light Ribbon was the the brand that we were looking at. How difficult is that? Have you do you use that on big productions? The Light Ribbon, the kind of oh, we use it all the time. Yeah, like how, we actually travel around usually on these. Even on smaller movies, we travel around with an entire milk crate just full of LED goods, particularly nice. the Light Ribbon stuff. And I mean, you know, it packs really tight, so it's easy to work. It's easy to grab a whole bunch of it and keep it in a small container. Like you bring that out, you can put it all over the place. But conversely, like we were talking about doing, you can buy a bunch of the ribbon and lay it out on a piece of foam core mm-hmm. and make a really small one-by-one unit out of LED ribbon. It comes in different densities, different color temperatures, the most common of which nowadays is the hybrid. So you can actually dial the color temperature either direction. From 32 to 56. From 32 to 56, yeah. which is really nice. Yeah. But they also, like that company also now makes a product that fits that description called the light mat oh, as well. Yeah. So. There's one I've been looking at from them. Uh, don't mean to stick on this brand specifically, but uh, you know, the, just the concept, the light tile. Have you seen this? That they I come I in. Uh, I think they're like four feet by two feet, and you can connect them together and put them in a, a grip frame. Like you can make a twelve by light tile source. That'd be cool. So then you can, on one side, you have the grommeted light tiles. On the other side, you can just drape a quarter grid or whatever. That's nice. I have this 12 by super soft source. That's directional and not a bounce source. So it takes up less space. That's a, that's a really yeah. good idea. I mean, you're the thickness of the frame. Mm-hmm. So an inch or whatever. When you deal with the LED ribbon in particular, it comes down to intensity because yeah. as, as strong as they are, and they are really strong, just you can get more punch out of bigger units. So for sure. For so sure. I mean, LEDs aren't going to replace everything anytime soon because there's just stuff that bigger guns do better. Yeah. I mean, it, I have a hard time seeing how any LED source could replace the Airy Max. That's true. <laughs> well, similar problem that we had on one of the days on Inconceivable, we had to use, I think it was five tungsten units, but we were simulating one big tungsten unit. We just didn't have it. So we very, but it was shooting through a grate. So in order to make the pattern match, we had to very carefully focus everything to make it look like there was only one light. 
LEDs oh. have that problem because the light comes from a whole bunch of different points. So if you don't diffuse it properly, it looks like there are there's a thousand shadows on it. Interesting. So it's one of those, it's one of those weird things that like you wouldn't even think about it until you're in the moment where you're like, oh, that's going to need to be dealt with. Yeah, and I wonder if if they'll ever get to a point where it's just one giant diode. There are some. I believe the uh, light panel makes the solo spot, which I believe is a single point LED. Interesting. So it's and that's like there. a 1K, basically, mm-hmm. right? It's not as punchy as a 1K, but they're they're definitely getting there. Huh. So I would love to see a 18K single diode LED. <laughs> Running on a stinger? <laughs> Running on a stinger. That would be nuts. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. What um, What else is going on? Not a whole lot. Uh, mostly just doing the movie thing right now. Picked up a little bit of commercial work in between the movies, but yeah. Uh, aside from that, just kind of hanging out, taking a break. Movies are exhausting, so yeah. I'm gonna take a week or so and try <laughs> to longer recoup. runs. So okay, here's a here's an interesting question. So for me, just my personal experience, getting my name out there and all that, uh, getting new work. It's it's a lot of website, but then it's also a lot of uh, word of mouth. On the DP side and director side, I could see how websites and stuff would be useful. On the gaffer side, might be a little different. What's your? How do you go about getting work? Part of it is making connections with DPs that you work with. Like I've worked with a couple of DPs that have flown in from different cities, mm-hmm. and we try to stay in touch and try to stay connected to them because then they have a friend that comes in. They say, "Ask for this guy." But the other thing also is just having a really good relationship with the rental house as well because. The, the rental house in town, Midwest Grip and Lighting, if a company comes in with something small, they don't really have hiring a gaffer in mind. Yeah. So they will just come in, ask for this truck, and we need a guy. Who do you recommend? And then if you stay in good contact with them, then they'll be like, well, he's available. Yeah. So, I mean, all of us in town are always getting emails from the people at Midwest saying, hey, are you available for this gig at this date? Like, cool. That's, in my experience, that's been how I've been able to stay busy as much nice. as I have. So it's just maintaining contact and then maintaining a, a good reputation. Absolutely a good reputation, for sure, because you're only as good as your last gig. Uh, no doubt. So. That's that's a good point. I mean, if you screw up one time, that's the last thing you're known for. Mm-hmm. It can certainly stay with you, or it takes time to get past that, but I mean, everybody makes mistakes. So yeah. We're always constantly learning. Yep. And speaking of learning, where did you, uh, how did you get into the business? Did you go to school? What what did you study? Take us through the beginning. I actually started college in mechanical engineering. Really? Uh, did a year, and then I decided I did not want to do that anymore. So I got. What changed your mind? Uh, the head of the department gave a lecture where he said that if you save one half of one cent per linear foot of weld, so if you can shave half a cent off of making a one foot long weld over the course of building this entire bridge, that turns out to be $16 million. And I just closed my book and went, no, and walked out. Wow. And I, I truly did. Like, I immediately called my counselors. I was like, what do I do to change majors? Because I'm not doing this. Oh, my gosh. Uh, luckily, I had an old family friend that was in the business, uh, Zach Riggins, who used mm-hmm. to, he owns Gripmeister Lighting Services. And he helped me get started. I went through school at UC for it, through the electronic media program, and after college, then just started networking locally. I actually went into freelancing right out of college too. So nice. I got lucky. Get a get a lucky start. That's good. I, I feel like everybody needs that that one person that gives them a leg up and a kind of start intro to the industry. It definitely helps. Like, but it's you get the name gets you your first job. You earn the second one. Like the second one mm. is based on the fact that you came in and did a good job. Yeah. Especially if it's a blind hire, like. We've done it before where we had to hire a guy on a recommendation from one of our guys because we're just out of people. Mm. So somebody comes in, it's their first time, they do a really good job, we keep calling them. What do you, okay, so that leads me to this question. What do you look for, if you're just hiring somebody for the first time, you've never worked with them before, what do you look for in them? What do you expect of them? You're a gaffer at this point. Mm -hmm. You're hiring a third what do you expect out of them, both personally, professionally, experience-wise, in order to get that next job with you? Personally, I look for attitude and work ethic because those two things are going to make or break. Like, you can teach somebody, especially because this is such a such a weird industry. You have to learn by doing. Mm-hmm. So in order to really get a feel for how the whole system is going to work, you have to do it a whole bunch. So you can't really fault somebody coming in and not knowing what everything's called or where everything is kept. But having a good work ethic, being easy to work with, having a good attitude about it, and working hard, like, we remember that. 
particularly because on electric side, oftentimes your first day, you do nothing but run big, heavy cables. And if you complain about it, we remember that. But Mm -hmm. if you never complain about it and just do it as quickly as possible and as professionally as possible, we remember that because we're always in the state where we need to hire somebody for that. Yeah. Or if we need to hire somebody for the next step up, you're the first name that comes to mind. So good point. So just be a hard worker and be a good person. Hard worker, good good person, easy enough to work with. Yeah. So enjoy bourbon. That'll typically uh... that <laughs> comes with the territory nowadays. That's funny. So on some of these bigger sets, um, do you have any crazy stuff? Like, what's the craziest kind of setup? What's something you've been asked to do that you're just like, this is ridiculous. Well, that happens. The the phrase "this is ridiculous" is said an awful lot. In multiple contexts. I prefer the phrase unreasonable now because I yeah. think it's hilarious. <laughs> so you're ta- are you talking about asking to do something that you don't think is appropriate or? It's more, I mean, because of the nature of the filmmaking process, you're often changing your mind and kind of feeling things out as you go, which is fine. But having a good idea of where to start can make or break your day hmm. because if it takes an hour to get this setup truly done to what we ultimately wanted, that's awesome. But if we spent an hour ahead of that doing something that we ended up doing nothing of, now we've worked for two hours mm. and we've accomplished the exact same thing. Mm. So having a good idea of where to start is a good idea, obviously. Like, But it happens all the time that stuff will change. Like we've had, particularly when it comes to electric, if the shooting day goes longer and we're shooting days with a bunch of windows, we tend to scramble at the end of the day and put up every big gun that we have to try to keep the daylight as long as possible just to buy as much time to shoot. And that ends up happening pretty consistently on some of the movies. Yeah. So you end up scrambling and spending the last two hours of your day making your wrap out a half hour longer by putting up a bunch of extra lights. Man, because there's no forethought of, hey, we're going to go long, so we should have these pre-staged. It's that or something could happen. And like if the day goes long or having so many pages of dialogue, that can certainly happen. Mm. You know, you do kind of get used to it, unfortunately. Sad, but uh, nice. I mean, the the roughest days though are most definitely not the the hardest days. It's just the days where there is no plan and we're just constantly chasing. Those are when it gets really rough. Yeah, but even if it's like a whole bunch of stuff that we have to do, it's not the end of the world to do it. Just, I mean, nobody obviously likes double working, but it does come with the territory. Like you get used to it for sure. So. As a gaffer. Um, What's your communication like with, with the grip side, with key grip? With grip side, I've, I've actually been trying to change how I operate. If I'm in a position where I hire a key grip, I try to be, have him be my contact point so he can manage his guys, I'll manage mine, and not yeah. worry about that. But particularly on smaller stuff, usually grip and electric are combined. So the uh-huh. same guys are moving all the gear. So yeah, on the smaller stuff, it's pretty easy because it's just like the first guy I hire will be the key grip. Usually on those situations, like we've done commercials where we hire a key grip specifically because we have some particular challenge that we know we're going to need to solve. Yeah. Let's Which, bring up a specific example. Uh, the UC job that we did not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, we had a rig where the camera's on a Dana dolly on in a stadium mm-hmm. and it's sitting on top of the seats. So gravity wants to pull it down. Yep. So we hired a key grip who then did a pulley system. So he ties a rope to the sled, which goes up to the top of the rails and then back down so he can pull it. Yeah, like a three-point. <clears throat> yep. Scott Poston. It was Scott Poston was our yeah. key grip on that. And it worked exactly like we needed it to. Yeah. And that's exactly why I hired him because oh, he's, great. He's, he's been doing it a lot longer than I have, so I certainly had every bit of confidence that he would make it work as best as he could. And it worked out great. That shot made the picture. It was really nice. It was gorgeous. Yeah, we've discussed that spot a bunch on the podcast. Um, it's kind of a, a good jumping-off point for little certain things like that that was such an interesting spot too because we had a little bit of everything i had to talk you into the firework lights you did yeah we uh there was a scene where students were laying on the grass looking up at fireworks and we had a moonlight source and then we had what what did i want to do originally i think we were talking originally about just letting the moonlight do it and then Uh, it may have been glass, but... I, yeah, I wanted to do a broken mirror or something right, like that. Right, because it was to catch yeah. the little reflection and sparkles. But then we ended up saying, you know, screw the eyes. We don't need to see the reflection of the firework in the eyes because they're going to add it later. Mm-hmm. And so we came up with a different solution. Well, that's the other thing that we did. Like, the two of us also started watching a lot of videos of people actually watching fireworks to figure out how the light would play in this scenario. Yeah. 
And then we ended up just doing a nice, it was another bounce and it was just, we colored the light so it would match the fireworks that we would show. For sure. And then we would just dim it up and then dim it down slowly, which is actually when you look at a firework, what ends up happening because it explodes and then it kind of fades off. It decays. Yeah. It doesn't just abruptly shut off. It's not a flicker. Right. It's a a gradual expansion and decay. Mm -hmm. That's cool. But yeah, I think a lot of things like that, uh, what makes a good gaffer DP, anybody involved in light is just kind of studying real life. Mm. You have to know what something actually looks like in order to reproduce it on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, do you, I mean, do you find yourself doing that? Just looking around like, oh, okay. So that's what oh, you absolutely. Know, 5 p.m. sunlight looks like on a winter. I'm in my living room at home. I have two windows that face off to the West. So for about three months out of the year, I get a really nice sunlight coming in at sunset. Mm. And I've been chasing that color temperature ever since. <laughs> Trying to, like, trying to find it. out exactly what color I need to make that light because it looks gorgeous. Yeah. And uh, it's it's been an interesting – I feel like we're kind of getting there on like the kind of characteristics that we want out of that light if we have that kind of uh, shot lined up. For sure. So. Interesting. Yeah, I mean it's just so weird lighting. It depends on, you know, what it's bouncing off of, what the set dressing's like. Mm-hmm. If the character has a cream wardrobe versus a white wardrobe, and you know. Which is why when you're doing – Movies in particular, you try to do camera tests ahead of time. So, like, you have a sample of their wardrobe on the cameras that you are going to shoot the entire movie on Mm -hmm. with the lights that you're going to shoot the entire movie with. So you know how it reacts. So you know ahead of time. That used to be a bigger deal with film as well because then you had to ship it off to development So because you don't know until you get it back. For sure. With digital nowadays, it's a much faster process. See it immediately. And that's, you know, on low-budget projects, we don't a lot of times have the luxury of camera tests like that. Right. So it's, it's much more about knowing what... Like, knowing the patterns and knowing, like, this is going to be a problem, so we don't even bother bringing it. Mm. Like, the striped shirt issue. Is, oh, it's yeah. always a problem. Moray with, and yeah, the moray effect. Like, so we already know, please don't wear tightly striped wardrobe, because that will cause a problem. Yeah. So. Especially on uh, cameras, like, you know, that have a huge resolution that are subsampled down to 108, like a 5D, mm-hmm. I'll say, for example. You have all these megapixels that are then sampled down to 1080 resolution. Because when you think about it, the camera was never engineered for film. No, it just skips it was, a... Right. So it's like, it was just something they didn't even think about in the way the camera was built. Yeah. So... Now they have to. So, okay, that brings up a good, good, another good question. How is lighting for today's kind of high sensitivity cameras different from where things started? Where it's... now you have things like the Sony, like on Compton, you guys are shooting Sony F55, mm-hmm. 1250 ISO. Yep pretty high sensitivity. How does that change things? It certainly makes your units smaller, but not always because it tends to be like sometimes just to cover the area of that you need with a light, mm-hmm. you got to go big. But in a lot of cases, you can do smaller lights, particularly when it comes to like interior work. You can do smaller units. It doesn't have to be a thousand water. It can be a 650. It doesn't have to be a 2K. It can be a 1K, mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff. But all like an area even reflected that because they developed the M8. Which the M series of area lights are their HMIs. Yeah. Like the the heavy hitters in that series are the M40 and the M18. And then they developed the same series but smaller in the M8. Mm. And that was directly because people needed a smaller light yeah. for smaller spaces. But with the same max reflector mm. and all the characteristics the of the M series. Right. And then all the engineering that went into that. Yeah. Which is those that series of lights is awesome to work with. Because they are very user friendly. Yeah, they are really bright for how like for how much power they draw. Yeah, like they are an awful lot of fun to work with. Yeah, I just uh, earlier this year got the opportunity on one project that I was shooting, two projects I was shooting back to back, the opportunity to use uh, Airy Max the 18K, mm. which I'd never <clears throat> used before, and so really? I never, no, never, and I uh, so I, you were unavailable, and I shot uh, a. A commercial for a granola bar uh, with Andy Young, or mm-hmm. uh, Andy, uh, not Young, blanking. So am I. Oh, little Andy Thomas. Thomas. Andy Thomas. Yeah, sorry, Andy, if you're listening. Andy Thomas, <laughs> awesome working with him. Um, but I, I got to work with Andy Thomas, and, you know, we discussed the package. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do you think about this? And I brought up the Arimax, a 12K. And a couple smaller units. It was outdoor. You know, you needed the punch. You needed something that can compete with the sun. Mm. 
And so that seemed to be like the only option. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there are actually bigger units than the Airy Max. Like uh, the 20Ks? Well, the 20K is a tungsten unit, but there's also... Well, it doesn't... Um, what am I thinking of? There's a, a 20K HMI, right? There might be. I mean, the tech changes so fast. I've been yeah. a little out of touch because I've been working a lot lately. But Interesting. There's, there's also a company called Soft Sun. Oh, yeah. And uh, Lumens that makes a unit, the 100K Soft Sun, which is a special kind of animal. We had two of them up in Cleveland on a gig once, and yeah. that ended up... I mean, those are special. You have to bring in your own generator for those because they run on a different voltage than everything else. They run on 480 volt. Oh, wow. So if you plug anything else into that system, it'll explode because it's not made to take the voltage. For sure. So we had, I think we had four generators on set because we had one to do the 18Ks on the roof, one then to do the, each of the two soft suns on the roof, the 100Ks. Yeah. And then we had another one to service the set inside. So what is a, a soft sun? Can you explain, like, break it down? Does it look like a normal light? Does it no, no, function really. like... It's, it's, first of all, it's enormous. It's the size of, it's as wide as a truck is. So you almost have to ship them, like, because of that, you have to ship them in a particular way. Wow. But they require multiple stands to put them in because it just weighs too much. Mm. You have to send the bulb separate. The bulb is, like, I want to say it's, like, 10 feet long. The whole unit is like 10 feet long. It actually kind of looks like an enormous Kino yeah. and actually plays like that too because it's got a really wide spread. So it's actually not like if you were to go full spot, if you were to just stand in the middle of the room with a light meter and have an Max at full spot and a 100K soft sun, yeah, they're probably about the same intensity, but it covers this enormous area. Wow. So, I mean, so what's can, a type of application that you would use that for? Lighting up a football field. <laughs> like... A talking, giant freaking area. Well, I was talking to two guys that do the X Games, and when they do the half pipe, they have one at each side of the half pipe filling mm. it in. Nice. Like, it's the middle of the day. I mean, that's just there. If it's a if it just suddenly turns cloudy and they need more light, like, they have those there. Like, they're already on and running, I think, even in bright sun. Wow. But, uh, like, that kind of stuff, like, really makes a difference. So. But not at, you know, you can't just, you know, go to your local shop and get no. your hands on that, right? That's a special order item. You got to, you know, put some thought into why you would need that. Definitely need to. That's going back to planning. That yeah. definitely comes in handy because what we taught, like that rig that we did with the two of those plus three area maxes, generator support and everything. I think the rig and manpower to put it in, I think it ultimately became like $75,000. For that, that one happen. day. Just for that rig. That wasn't even the whole day. That's so. crazy. But when you think about these movies that are spending 20, 30, 40 million. Right. Should be said 75,000 is not a drop in the bucket to Disney. Who is who paid for that? <laughs> yeah. But again, that requires thought because you don't mm. want to just blow 75K on something that, you know, yeah, we didn't need, really need it, but. I actually don't think they turned it on. What? <laughs> oh my God. I think they ended up having enough sunlight. But I mean, when you think about, when you think about like the time, the 75 grand versus you know, Scarlett Johansson's time waiting for the sun to get better. Like, it actually does kind of make sense to just have it there. It's just wow. on a, a significantly larger scale. Safety. Yeah. Yeah, it's a safety. Our That's time cool. is always cheaper than their time. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, I mean, when you really think about it, uh, when you're talking about the star power and locations, everything that goes into it, adding a few more units isn't really that big of a deal. No, it's really not. And the thing is, too, like... Even the, the, the big name stars, like, they understand the process, too. So, like, they're mm. seeing all this happen around them, and they're being very gracious about, you know, all this stuff is very heavy, and these guys have to move very quickly. Mm. So, like, they're gracious about giving us space to work. And then in return, we clear out so they can do their job, too. Have so. you ever had the opposite experience where you just have an actor lose it? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Any examples you wish to share? Um or- on in specifics, if you don't want to be specific, I don't want to name names, but I did a movie recently, and the actor. I mean, this is he kind of blew up a little bit, and the immediate response of everybody was to clear the room. And what I said afterwards, when we all left the building, was you know he could have just turned to an AD and said, "Hey, can we clear the set?" And the exact same thing would have happened. Yeah, but he chose to have a meltdown about it, so it mm. was it was a bummer. It's a real bummer. Going back to attitude, I think that carries over not just on the talent side, but like you're talking about the crew side. Mm -hmm. If you are one to lose it at the drop of a hat or, you know, not handle stressful situations, this is a very stressful industry. Oh, yeah. So I think what you and I were talking about on the way up here, that's I think one thing we absolutely agree on is that good attitude, 
goes a long way. You're going to get hired. It makes the whole day better for everybody. Yeah. It, it really does. And just it's a stressful job. They regularly schedule you for 12-hour days, and then they go over, so you end up working 14. Like, so then you've got 10 hours to get home, get a shower, get sleep as much as you can. Like, it's it takes it out of you, especially over a longer run. It's like finding ways to cope with that kind of stress is super important. Like, personally, I do a lot of gaming, so I just I just hang out and kill time, and it makes me feel better. Nice. Just de-stresses. So interesting. Like finding a de-stress can make it make or break you in this industry. I think yeah, this work, I feel yeah. So a lot of people have like a nine to five at five p.m. <clears throat> their job ends. They turn off their brain and go about doing whatever. We, I feel like, <laughs> are always. I'm always checking my phone. I'm always answering emails, phone calls, texting back and forth with directors, producers, gaffers, whatever. We it doesn't around. end. We joke around that you're always spending the last hour of the day booking the next job. Yeah. So. It's it's, it's crazy. But yeah, you're right. That's held true for the movies too. Like the last week of the last couple of movies, we've been like, all right, what's coming up next? Like, Well, you kind of have to be that way because if you kind of take your foot off the accelerator for a moment, somebody else gets the job or, yep. you know, you, you have a gap where you needed the money to pay your rent or whatever. Or you just fall out of favor with with a DP or a director. Yeah, I mean it's and they find someone else. That's true. I mean it's it's a rough industry because it's it's about who you click with. I mean we've been lucky. Like the two of us have clicked together since when we did Scorn and we started like we did a couple of low budget movies, kind of got a friendship going, and then we've done yeah. a lot of stuff together. And it's it's been really exceptional being able to have that kind of working relationship with somebody where we can fall into something really quickly without yeah. having to worry about it too much. No, I mean, so. yeah, like the last few jobs, you, you've been doing the movies mm-hmm. and I've worked with a few other people, but it's like the next job that we have together, we've already established that working relationship. We both share the same philosophy when it comes to lighting and crew management and attitude, and we have the same offset habits. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> the, it just works. Yeah, it's so. It's, it's also nice because, like, we never have any kind of job security because the no. gig, when the gig's over, the gig's over. Yeah. So it is definitely a stress relief to just have, like, you know, you're all in this together. That kind of, like, group mentality of we're all going to get through this together goes a long way. And it is such a small market. Like, everybody knows everybody. Even in the bigger markets, everybody knows everybody. I was working with a couple of people from the camera department that were out of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And they know people that I've worked with from Atlanta. Not the local camera rental house, the camera department. But <laughs> you are correct. Not that was fun the whole time that yeah. we were doing that. Uh, but yeah, like the couple, the AC and the loader hmm. that were on the last movie that I worked on were from Atlanta, and they've know a couple of guys that I worked with from them like five years ago. Hmm. So it is a small market. So it's like word travels quick. We're getting noticed in this market for the caliber of talent that we have in this town is just ridiculous. You're talking about from out of town productions a lot of, that come in? A lot of productions have come into Cincinnati and the Ohio market, and they're ecstatic with the kind of people that we have available in almost every department. Hmm. And they're blown away because they didn't think they were going to be able to find that here. And that's that's very, you get a sense of pride out of that, too. And that keeps them coming back. It too. does. When they know they don't have to worry about, oh, we're hiring schmucks that don't know what they're doing. Exactly. It's like, We've done this before. So. Yeah. Um, so speaking to, you know, some of our listeners that are, are thinking about getting into the lighting electric side of it, any words of advice on kind of where to start? So maybe speak to someone who's in school, who's going to be going to the industry when they get out. It's weird that you asked me that because I actually teach a class at a university yeah. locally. So what I tell my students on the last day what I tell them on the first day is I'm not teaching you how to do the job. I'm teaching you how to get the job. Mm. I'm teaching you how to not embarrass yourself so you get the second job. Yeah. Because what you do in the field is worth way more than you're ever going to learn in the classroom, which is the harsh reality. And this, this is mostly grip and electric side. Like, obviously, always go and get an education. It's important. But understand also that you don't stop learning when you're done with school. No. <laughs> like, you actually that, – that gets you set up to – start learning it's a primer yeah. it is i mean i've been i went to school for four years for it and i've been doing the job for 10 years now and i look back at the stuff i did when i was in school i had no idea what i was doing yeah I well look you, back at the stuff i did first couple of years i started the job i had no idea what i was doing no i don't think it, it school it, it's good for a few things it's a, a good point to allow you to mature a little mm-hmm. bit and to 
learn how to work with people, but it doesn't explain the political aspects of the job. It doesn't, like you said, how to, how to get and retain work. Using your head and not just about like what kind of gear or what light you should pick is a big deal. Yeah. Because I mean, we've had situations before where somebody opens their mouth, says something they shouldn't, and then there's ramifications for it for Mm. that person or maybe not for that person. Yeah. So, and that's the real, the real weird thing about the politics side of this business is that Sometimes if you accidentally say something that you shouldn't have said, it's not you that has to pay the price for it. It's the other guy. Yeah. And that's, that's the worst kind of feeling. Mm. Give so, a, give an example of that if you can. Um, I had one where somebody said something that they shouldn't and the client was in a bad mood about something already and he wasn't really thinking he was just trying to bond with the client. Yeah. But then afterwards I pulled him aside. I'm like, see, the thing was that you didn't think about was that if they're mad enough, they're going to go somewhere else and then we're out of a job. Mm. because they're not going to take us with them. Yeah. Like, so, you, so may, you may not have just cost yourself a job, but you, you might cost have also cost me a job too. 10 people that just got hired. So it's just like learning that kind of stuff takes way more time. So the best advice I can give you, if you're getting into Grip and Electric or any of the, any department in filmmaking or in commercial work or anything is use your head, understand that everybody who's here, who's everybody, almost everybody has been doing it longer than you. Yeah. So don't get mad. Don't get an attitude about it. Learn from them. Watch what they do, do what they do. It becomes very clear who's really good at their job very quickly. Mm. Look at what that person does and try to do that. That's worked for me. <laughs> Be receptive. There's yeah. been there's been a couple really good people in town that I've been lucky who I know when I started I annoyed the living crap out of. Yeah. But like since then we've had the chance to talk and I was I've told him, I was like, Look, I learned to do the job by doing it what you were doing. Yeah. So I appreciate that. I appreciate you not telling me to go the way, but and allowing you up to, with it. to watch. Right. Yeah. And so, so basically find a mentor, whether they know it or not. Absolutely. And what, what do they always say? Uh, copying someone is like the best form of flattery. Something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's it. That's a very good point is just observe, be observant, look at what works, do that until so you find your own style, depending on what, you know. Right. Department you're in. Sometimes there is a better way. Knowing knowing how to approach that can make mm-hmm. or break you. Like, you know, I mean, if if my boss has an idea of something, he might not because, like, as the electrician on this movie, like, I'm thinking about things that my boss isn't thinking about. We're all in the same department, but he's not thinking about where the power runs are or any of that. So he might tell me to place a unit and go that way with the power. But it might not make sense. It might not make any sense. So I might just, like, but instead of saying, hey, that's wrong... Say, is there any reason why we don't just go to there? Because mm. offer a solution. Uh, you offer the solution, and then he just says, "No, I didn't know that was there. Go do that." Mm. Like then, you're on top of your thing. You're doing your job as best as best you can. He's yeah. doing his job as best he can. And again, communication, knowing how long it's going to take to make that happen, makes a world of difference. So no doubt. Well, I think I think the main thing that we can take any the listeners can take away from the conversation is, like you said, you you can teach the technical aspects. But the people that really succeed, I think, are the ones that have the social, the communication aspects down. If you're able to get along with people, you'll always learn the tech. Right. Right? I mean, you, you'll get it eventually. It may take a little longer, but mm-hmm. be a good person, be receptive, work your ass off. Pretty much. I mean, that's the thing is, like, you're you're always up against it because, I mean, the producers, again, doing their job are trying to get it done with as few people as possible to save money. Yeah. So... You want to be as efficient as you can because you don't want to be that one that they look at and say, do we really need him? <laughs> so just having a good work ethic, understanding it is a job. It's a fun job. It's mm. Sometimes it's a really fun job. Sometimes it's not. Mm. But it's a job first and foremost. It's how we make our living. Sometimes be, a decent living so at it. Be professional. Be as professional <laughs> as possible. Nice. It's, that's not an easy task. Always. <laughs> now, you're dealing with, uh, you know attitudes and, and mindsets that aren't always the most nice. It's such a personality-driven industry, yeah. too. So it's like you're always trying not to offend anybody by saying anything. But then you just go home and you you decompress. And exactly. when you go home to decompress, are you doing anything specific other than gaming? Are you What are the shows just, that you, as a gaffer, enjoy? Well, if I'm, to, if I'm watching for like work to understand like what something looks like, I'm a huge fan of black and white cinema. So Really? I, I really love that because it's just something that you don't see very much anymore. Anything recent that you can name? 
Not recently for the black and white stuff. Although AMC did do a special where they st- they aired the first season of Walking Dead in black and white, which was really awesome. Whoa. Mad Max. And yeah, Mad Max is also doing Can they that. hear you? They can't hear Adam. Adam just said they're releasing Mad Max in black. I think they're calling it the Black and Chrome yes. edition. Which is the best name ever. Which looks amazing. It looks fantastic. Because and what I heard, and I was reading an article, is that George Miller, that's what he originally, he wanted to capture in black and white and release in black and white. And the studio said, no, that's never going to work. I could see that because of like how saturated the images are in that and like yeah. how color plays, like it's all... Very monotone. Like mm-hmm. the night the night shots in that look like blue. Blue. <laughs> they are blue. Because they were shot day for night. Day for night, yes. <laughs> Which, uh, can you explain that? I don't think we've actually really gone into what day for night is and how it affects lighting. Can you just give a little yeah. blurb about so, what that means? Basically, you shoot, if, you're, if it's the middle of the day and you're shooting a scene that takes place in the middle of the day, we call that day for day. Mm-hmm. If you're shooting at night and it's, it is actually the middle of the night and the scene takes place at night, you're shooting night for night. But that is not always the case because of time constraints. Like sometimes you are shooting day for night, which means it is actually noon, but the scene takes place in the middle of the night. So to compensate for that, you have to plan for the light. So if you're inside, you can black out all the windows. But in Mad so, Max, they're in outside. Mad Max, <laughs> they are in the middle of a giant desert. So I think that's just camera <laughs> trickery. It is very much yeah. camera trickery in this particular scenario where they just they did a lot of color work. Yeah. So they captured the image. The raw image that they captured is probably the same as the day work, and they did it in post. You want to know a funny story? Go ahead. I'll actually lend something to this. Uh, I heard, and I was listening to John Seal, the DP, talk about it. They actually, the DIT recommended that he overexpose the image, I believe, by two stops. For the night stuff? For the day for night stuff. And That's then they weird. brought it way down. And what that did was retain shadow detail. So when they brought it down, they still had detail in the blacks and it wasn't just crushed. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So that it, makes sense when you think about it. Yeah. But that's, I think something that goes back to what you're saying earlier is test, 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 you know, oh, yeah. have a plan. It's not like they just thought that up on the spot. Oh no. They were probably weeks on yeah. that particular one. I mean, also that's a movie where they built an entire fleet of vehicles just to smash them. Yeah. So well, they originally think... built a camera system for the movie that they never used. Mm-hmm. They had a, a like 3D camera rig on a bungee system that they just scrapped and went with the Alexa. What do you think about like how long it took Avatar to come to cinemas too? Like yeah. years of development to make that work. Well, it's just, yeah, they, you know, you come up with new technology that then gets adapted and used by other productions. Yep. It's, so, that's insane. That's funny. <laughs> yep. All right. So you like black and white movies. I do. I'm also a sucker for comic book movies and shows. I just finished up Supergirl last ah, night. Okay. So we have an ongoing thing on the show. Brandon's not here to defend himself, but that's fine. He can he can go ahead and take it. Uh, it sounds like you're on Team Alex. Team Alex is pro-superhero movies. Team Brandon is anti-superhero movies. Sorry, Brandon, you're wrong. Yes! We have another one. <laughs> An industry awesome. veteran that says superheroes are fantastic. For God's, so, they're, God, the shows in particular, the CW series, the Arrowverse, is really good, but you have to really embrace the camp. Yeah. Like you have to understand this is campy and it's going to be. Love it. Do yeah. you are you a Game of Thrones fan? I read the books. I have not watched the show yet. I haven't been waiting cuz I'm trying to get I'm trying to get the misses to go along with me on that one. Okay. So, I think you'll like it. I hope. See, Brandon doesn't like superheroes. He doesn't like robes. Doesn't either. like robes in general. There's a general thought that robes are ridiculous. That's the weirdest thing. So I've heard. Star Wars, Game of Thrones, any of those deals. I'm assuming it's got Lord a robe of, in it. Lord he, of the Rings done. falls into that too. Then I assume. Lord of the Rings. Yep, can't do it. <laughs> robes, <laughs> really robes. God love him, but Brandon, we've got another one for Team Alex. Thank you. <laughs> That's cool. So, what do you got coming up? What are you excited about, uh, either work-wise or gear or movies or video games or anything? Uh. Honestly, I'm looking forward to a week or so off. But <laughs> aside from that, uh, it sounds like our market's going to be busy for a while, at yeah. least until the end of the fiscal year. And uh, that's pretty awesome because traditionally in this market and a lot of smaller markets, there's a slow period at the beginning of the year because mm. it's cold. The weather's a little unpredictable. Nobody really wants to shoot. 
So it slows down, but it sounds like we may not have a slow season this year. Like there's a lot of- Which would be awesome. Which would be awesome. (laughs) It would be great. Yeah. Typically, like you kind of get used to the slow season where you're like, I take a month off and I do all the fun stuff that I've been putting off the whole year during that month. So it's like, I take the wife and kid, we try to get out of town for a weekend or something during that period. Mm. But uh, if there isn't one, then maybe I do get to buy that house this next year. Exactly. Yeah. You got to take advantage of it. Take the work while it's there. Absolutely. Yeah, leaves less to plan and save for. Put mm. the, the winter nut away, you know. But, you know, I mean, you do get used to that, too. So it's like you, you plan accordingly. Like Yeah. You, yeah. you plan to not work, and if you end up working, then you just have a surplus. And that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I You know, I myself might be doing a movie, which is yeah. great. I might be doing another one. So I hope that works out. Be a nice twenty day stretch at the end of the year where you never expect work to be. We're talking about the same movie. I oh, yeah. had a talk with the missus about if that happens, that's going to be it for the year because mm-hmm. then I'm going to plan accordingly. It's like that's going to do it because then we'll yeah. have the Thanksgiving week off and then the holidays off and then back to it the next year. Yeah, which is so. will be fantastic. Well, that's awesome, dude. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Oh, it's been a, it's been a long time coming. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like. There's much more we could talk about. We just kind of scratched the surface of what it means to be a gaffer, how a gaffer works with a DP, the whole crew dynamic, et cetera. Yeah. Any, any kind of closing words you want to add? Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I love my job. I do love my job. <laughs> it's not always the best, but I do love it. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's, this industry is not for everybody, but if you can do it, if you think you can do it, then it's, it's an awful lot of fun. Yeah. It's an addiction and we all have ourselves as a support system. (laughs) Well, that's cool. Well, I just want to reiterate to our listeners out there that this is the last episode. I'm going to announce it, but you have three more days to enter the giveaway. So if you want to win the uh, Scrim Gym Cine Kit, you have to go to Twitter, tweet out a tweet to at FTB podcast at... I think it's FJ Westcott or Westcott Co. I'm going to look that up right now. But then use the hashtag FDB giveaway. Uh, and you could win a $400 plus Scrimgeon Cine kit. Let's see. Westcott. Westcott Co. So W-E-S-T-C-O-T-T-C-O. So do those three things, enter to win, and then we'll be making the announcement on October 31st on Halloween Day, (laughs) and you will win that. Well, Whitey, Brian, whatever you are called nowadays, thanks for coming on. Anytime. All right. Cheers. Cheers, mate. This podcast was recorded live at Sound Images Studio. Find out more at soundimages.com.